The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Provoke Media Podcast. In this case, sponsored by our friends at Finn Partners. I'm delighted to welcome for today's discussion, the head of Finn Partners Global Healthcare Practice, Fern Lazar. And we are going to be talking about healthcare in um, the Asia Pacific region, which is particularly apropos since Finn Partners recently acquired SPAG. Um, which I think it is fair to say is probably the leading independent healthcare-focused public relations firm in that region. Um, Certainly, um, it's been well-recognized with Healthcare Agency of Year Awards uh, over over its history. and I'm going to start um, by by providing hopefully a little bit of context for the conversation, um, because we didn't actually have an Asia Pacific Healthcare Agency of the Year category until about six or seven years ago, um, at a time when healthcare was probably the fastest growing part of the public relations business in the US at a time when I could have named half a dozen healthcare specialists in the UK and continental Europe. Um, The market in Asia was extremely thin. The, The global players there had relatively small healthcare practices, um, certainly by Western standards. And so uh, my first question, I guess, is what what is it that took so long for healthcare to develop as a public relations discipline in the Asian markets? Thank you, Paul. And thank you again for having me on the show today. I'm delighted to be here. I I think that uh, it has a lot to do with the maturity of the markets themselves and sort of the growing sophistication. So if we look at some key trends just that are driving growth in Asia, um, it's hard to imagine, but Asia as as a group, Asia is the second largest consumer market in the world. It has 50% of the world's population. Uh, if you look at just China and Japan alone, their GDP is rapidly approaching that of the U.S. and is expected to eclipse the U.S. And so um, what you have, especially over the last 10 years or so, as you said, is uh, increased pace of investment, increased pace of development, sophistication. Um, I think in the healthcare markets in particular, you see growing investment from governments um, in Asia, we saw about a 20% growth rate in, in healthcare market investment versus 10% in, in the US and, and Europe. So you can see that the markets are exploding in terms of investment and growth. And uh, I've read some statistics that say that by 2026, healthcare spending in Asia will, will reach about $2.3 trillion. So really really getting up there and so i think you know as as uh, as always agencies follow the money right so <laughs> i hate to be uh, so pedestrian but 
when you have that sort of investment being made in countries, and, and let's be specific, there are 48 countries in Asia, so it is not one uniform market. It is a very complex um, ecosystem of markets there. Uh, when you have that sort of investment, you have um, sophistication of services and um, a lot more people looking for content and, and communications. Um, I would say, I don't know if you want to ask another question. but <laughs> um, I, I did want to pick up on something you said in there about sort of the government investment in healthcare spending. Um, because again, this was a trend that we started noticing a decade ago, maybe, that um, there was a lot of public health education going on um, in places like Singapore. Um, they were beginning to confront um, an aging population. Um, there was suddenly a lot of health education work that was being conducted by the government itself. Um, and that seemed to me to be, and, and again, I don't want to overgeneralize um, about, about a region that is so rich and complex, but that seemed to me to be the, the first time that I saw the sort of um, consumer citizen empowerment around healthcare yes. that I'd seen in America and, and Western Europe which is to say this idea that um, consumers in Asia for the for the first time maybe were being asked to take charge of their own health um to to become sort of their own activists um, on behalf of health issues um and I wondered if if I'm right in thinking that that was a fairly recent phenomenon in that part of the world and how that has influenced, the um, emergence of healthcare marketing and healthcare PR in, in, in the region. You're exactly right, Paul. So well done. <laughs> uh, I, yes. I, it's amazing what I can learn just by looking at the entries that come into our <laughs> awards competition. There you go. Uh, yes, so what, what you're witnessing is definitely increased investment from governments uh, also, uh, a growing middle class, right? And so that is uh, a phenomenon that we know um, leads to increased awareness, education, demand for services, uh, and, and so it is in Asia. So now healthcare in Asia is becoming a priority. Um, rising consumerism is, uh, oh my, sorry about that. Ah. Okay. Start again. Rising consumer. Oh my! Why is this not uh, going off there? There we go. When did? When was the last time you heard a landline? <laughs> Hopefully you'll cut this up. Yeah, you'll cut it out. Uh, rising consumerism is uh, is in fact impacting uh, or something we see all over Asia. We see a more informed and empowered population that really wants to get the best in healthcare. In Singapore, as you said led the charge um, with this. And I think Western companies and, of course, agencies, when you see rising consumerism around, you want you see an opportunity to build demand and um, across the board, building demand for uh, both telehealth services as well as products, as well as just general information um, about healthcare it, itself. 
In China alone, we saw that about 44% of consumers said that they spent more on their own health last year. And a lot of that could be COVID-related. People are spending more time at home. We know that uh, because of the lockdowns, telehealth uh, was rising. And something that I think is is uh, unique to, to Asia and perhaps parts of Latin America is that uh, consumers really jumped right to smartphones. So they were not... Um, they were not imp impacted by delay in landlines for telephones going down. Um, they jumped really right to uh, to smartphones. And so now over half the world's internet users are based in Asia. And so again, this is a population, as, as you said, growing consumerism. They're now demanding information that they need at the time they need it in the way that they want to get it. And so uh, that's also led to a growth in digital health. And so um, we were privileged enough to to partner. Finn was privileged enough to partner with Galen Growth. I don't know if you if you saw that report in looking at uh, digital health investment across the world. And interestingly, um, Asia in Asia, the uh, digital health market is expected to reach about three hundred and twenty six billion by twenty thirty. So that's a huge growth rate from where it's been. And according to the Galen report, it's um, Asia actually eclipsed Europe in terms of overall digital health investing. So when you have companies, governments, venture capitalists putting that sort of money in the region, uh, you know that um, there's going to be um, an evolution of, of consumer demand. And where you have consumer demand and change, I mean, this is uh, another factor. All of this change and all of these disruptions um, communications really is at the heart of helping to bridge all of that, right? So we're we're the content creators. We helped connect the different parties within the health ecosystem. So the typical four in healthcare, as you know, so patients, providers, policymakers, and payers. Uh, we as as communicators, that's our role. We help to bridge those differences and and help to to you know to serve as a guide to companies that want to delve into the the asian markets Let, let's, let's talk a little bit about the digital landscape and the um the content creation side of communications here, because obviously um, there, there are fairly significant differences even between the US and the UK um, in terms of what companies can say when they're talking to consumers. Um, what is the what is the communications regulation landscape like in Asia and how much does it vary from country to country um, in terms of how you can and can't communicate directly to consumers and how is it evolving? So I'm not an expert. Again, I'm uh, like like you, I'm not an expert in this, but I do know that it uh, that Asia more closely resembles Europe than it does the Wild West of the United States. Um, but there is a very uh, active social media. Uh, there's many platforms where consumers do get their information. But I think when I was speaking of digital health, I was speaking more about um, trying to connect providers with patients a bit more through telehealth, 
uh, trying to have hospitals have a broader reach into the health communities. And again, communications is central to enabling all of those kinds of connectivities as well. So um, there's a lot of that investment. Again, COVID showed us uh, in broad daylight all of the uh, the fragmentation across the world that that um, has has really that we have within our own healthcare systems and where we need more communication. So there's a great investment in digital health uh, to get more information to patients at the time they need it from from doctors, from uh, pharmacists, uh, and you know and so forth, and all the players within the health ecosystem. And I think media, uh, probably has evolved itself in playing a greater role in education about pub about infectious diseases, about other diseases that are, and as you mentioned before, you know, we have a, a great aging population within the within Asia. So there's about 460 million seniors will reach the age of 65 by 2025. And as you said, that places enormous burdens on these healthcare systems. It creates demand for services for diseases that afflict um, those uh, approaching senior senior age. So, cardiac uh, cardiac diseases, obesity, cancers, uh, all diabetes, for example, those have uh, tremendous comorbidities as well. So, there's a tremendous demand for healthcare services. There's a shortage of healthcare workers. Uh, we know, I, I know in, in the US and also in Europe, we have also seen um, lots of healthcare workers leave our health systems. The same is happening in Asia. And greater connectivity can help solve some of those challenges by, again, by tr trying to reach patients where they live at home, um, doing home visits, making um, the providers' lives more efficient lessening the administrative burden. So so I think that's where we're seeing some of the investment in digital health, not in the sort of way that we see it in the U.S. Oh, Paul, you're on mute. Yep, sorry. One of the things um, that, uh, that, that is interesting, I guess, is just how many um, of the major healthcare stories of the last sort of 10 or 15 years um, started as Asia Pacific stories, whether whether it's going back a decade or so to SARS, um, or whether it's a recent COVID pandemic, um, and you know I I can't help wondering how much better things might have been had we been better connected globally um, in terms of healthcare infrastructure um when um when when those two um pandemics um emerged um and i also wonder whether you'd observed any difference in the sort of arc of the the covid narrative in asia for example compared to the covid narrative in the us I think what uh, you're, you're underscoring here, Paul, is this um, another area of tremendous opportunity for communications, which is in public health, right? So um, up until COVID, up until, well, even, even during SARS, I think uh, everybody mistakenly believed that diseases would not cross borders. Well, boy, did the, those diseases prove us wrong. And we know now that uh, the world is more interconnected than ever, and that these diseases 
they they don't know the meaning of borders. And so, yes, uh, connectivity amongst governments, among patient organizations is is essential. And I think Asian, some of the Asian countries were better prepared for these types of uh, diseases, pandemics, it, epidemics, uh, than, than some Western countries. Uh, they contained it earlier. They knew the measures to take. Uh, but the uh, and, but the the you know and the level of information and sophistication of the information probably paralleled uh, their their sort of the steps that they took. But I think what what you're what you're underscoring here with the question is how we need to get better at communicating on an intergovernmental level with um, with some of these diseases. And I and again we work with a lot of. Uh, NGOs and a, a lot of um, a lot of vaccine groups around the world uh, to help develop content that can go across borders and to to actually be faster and quicker about expediting the flow of communications to those that need it. Right. I mean, I you know, I I think also about some of the um, some of the norms in terms of consumer citizen behavior in in different markets um you know any anybody who spent yeah. time in hong kong a decade ago knows how comfortable um people in hong kong were with masks for example yeah. um but at the same time i saw plenty of work in saber that suggested that vaccine hesitancy was as much of a problem and i apologize for my dog's guest appearance in the podcast just now um but my my experience with saber entries suggests that there was as much vaccine hesitancy um, in Asia as as sorry as there was in the U.S. and and, and in some European markets. Is that fair? I um, I think it's I think it's fair. I think um, there are some countries that tend to be more compliant uh, with their government decrees. I think that has to do with credibility of and trust within those governments. That's a whole other topic that uh, um, that neither I nor you can solve on this call today. Uh, but but I do think, you know, again, as communicators, we have a vital role to play in helping to fill this void and helping to ensure that uh, I actually, just before this call, I see, that there's a, a horrible video that came out on Twitter about vaccine deaths due to, I'm sorry, deaths due to vaccines. And it, it came out on Twitter. And so when you have that sort of disinformation filtering through, you know, the all around the world, you can't help but uh, create, you can't help but face uh, a lot of hesitancy, disinformation. And it's, you know, the media plays an important role here. We, uh, companies, industry, I would say, regulators, of course, and setting the record straight. There's a there's just a lot of background noise, and again, as communicators, that's our role. Our role is to to try to engender trust amongst our stakeholders in what we what we develop and using third parties, which is uh, you know that's what PR is all about, right? It's getting other people to say great things about you, but and and trying to verify you, what you say. Um, getting other people to testify that this is in fact the truth. So it's uh, it's a big issue right now, and I I'm hoping that uh, 
that that the powers that be across the world, um, in particularly, uh, you know, in, in the United States are recognizing that we need to do more. Uh, we need to speak to consumers. We need to speak to patients uh, with trusted voices. This is uh, I think this is another um, recognition that came out during COVID is that it's not enough for the uh, the, the, the governments to have their spokespersons say that something is a fact, but consumers around the world, patients want to hear it in their language. They want to hear it from people that they trust. So it could be um, from their own religious uh, uh, organizations. It could be in their local communities. They want to hear it in language that speaks to them. And so, uh, you know, we can't be communicating uh, the same thing in in you know, ways one size does not fit all. We need to understand that there are differences in the communications needs of all our stakeholders. So, um, yeah, I, I I think that there's there's great opportunity here. The the trust issue obviously is central anytime we have a, a conversation about public relations at all, but particularly in the healthcare space. Um, and I I was. I was wondering, um, you know, early on when we were talking about um, why the pharmaceutical market in in Asia had um, had had been perhaps slower to develop, or pharmaceutical PR had been slower to develop. Um, how much of that was down to the Chinese government and American concerns about intellectual property rights in China? which is one side of the trust equation. Um, but the other side is that, um, you know, there are presumably populations who don't have quite the same level of trust in Western pharmaceutical companies or or, or even sort of Western science um, that, that you would see or would have seen um, given our headlong flight from reason in America and the UK um, would have seen in the West a few a few years ago. I wonder whether, you know, sort of overcoming a preference for or, or a trust in um, traditional or indigenous forms of medicine was a was a major issue still in um, in some parts of Asia. I, I think it probably is, Paul, but uh, if you look at the top 10 pharma and medtech companies, uh, when they do their reporting, and, and many of them just did, you see that Asia represents a huge portion of their revenue. So uh, I, I do believe that that's up to the local provider to decide what is right for their particular patients, which is as it should be. But a, the, uh, the large pharma and medtech companies recognize that Asia is a growth opportunity. And we've been working... Uh, with our partners, SPAG, we've been working across Asia uh, to really understand patient journeys, to understand the channels that best reach them. There is keen interest among uh, Western companies, uh, industry, to enter, to have a deeper relationship in Asia. And, and I think as we potentially uh, approach, uh, well, I'm not going to call it a recession, but uh, what, what one would call a dip, in the um, economic growth of, around the world, Asia looks like a bright spot uh, by all accounts. Um, I am happy to read The Economist every week, and they do underscore that uh, that that Asia seems to be to be less affected by um, by the, some of the inflation we're seeing in in the West. Uh, but I I do think that there's a tremendous opportunity for Western companies 
to build their brand, to invest more in talking directly to stakeholders within Asia. Uh, we're, some of them are doing that already and, and uh, to, to work alongside providers to, to show where uh, Western therapies, Western medicine fit in this sort of algorithm of treatment for each disease state. Um, you know, we can't uh, we can't say that one is better than the other. That is really up to a provider to decide what is right for their patients. So, uh, but there is clearly um, <clears throat> an opportunity, and I think Western companies probably need to do a better job at building more trust. Um, excuse me, showing the value proposition and demonstrating their expertise in these markets. And what are the um, what are the big issues where you see an opportunity for public relations in in the Asian markets, either specific disease categories, um, particular segments of the industry? You mentioned e-health earlier, and I, I I can certainly see how that is a growing um, part of the business in in Asia. But where are you seeing specific opportunities? Excuse me. I'm sorry about this. Um, yeah, you know, we we continue to see our role as helping to connect Western companies um, with local health ecosystems. So helping them to navigate all the complexities in each market. Again, you know, every market's different. And um, for example, we're doing a um, for large medtech company, we're doing a stakeholder mapping and uh, looking at the patient journey for hypertension in Malaysia. Our partners in SPAG are leading that charge. And, you know, again, every market is going to be different. So we see an opportunity as providing a much more tailored approach to helping companies understand how to really connect all the disparate parts of the, the ecosystem. We, we, we see our role as being the guides to 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 helping them in each country. So there's an opportunity for content. Um, there's an opportunity to help inform the media. Interestingly, the uh, health industry in Asia is also maturing. So, you know, I think traditionally we saw many uh, health companies in Asia, uh, you know, coming out with with um, sort of second tier products or generics. Um, you know, but now uh, again, due to increased invest investment, we see a lot of Asian companies leading the charge on health uh, innovation. So health innovation, again, in digital health, in, in telehealth, but also in, you know, old fashioned, good old fashioned biopharma. Many Asian com companies are conducting clinical trials around the world. And we uh, we see our role as helping them to expand communications around clinical trials, around these innovations, explaining them, um, showing that there's research behind it. So it kind of goes both ways. We see Western companies, big opportunity entering the Asian markets and then helping and supporting the leading Asian companies uh, with local expertise in, in the West, in, in Europe and in Asia. One of the um, one of the really interesting things that the and worthwhile things that Finn Partners is doing right now is um, this focus on um, healthcare in rural America and some of the health disparities that we see across America. Um, 
I I don't I don't have a deep first-hand experience, obviously, of the Asian market, but I'm assuming that there are issues of healthcare disparity in um in in various markets in Asia as well, and populations that are less well served, perhaps, than they they should be. Um, how much attention is that getting from your um, from your healthcare clients, and are there any sort of solutions or general rules for trying to um, trying to make that situation better? Thank you, Paul, for uh, for recognizing this amazing initiative that is uh, a brainchild of, of Peter Finn. Um, yes, well, I think we talked a little bit about it earlier on. Um, you know, this, um, I think what, what has happened in Asia that has not happened in the U.S. is investment in infrastructure. Um, so in the U.S., when we're looking at rural health, we're looking at more than just health. We're looking at roads. We're looking at investment in broadband. We're looking at, um, at, at educators as well. And in some ways, I think um, Asia perhaps has leapfrogged us in, in areas again, because people went right to smartphones. They weren't, they weren't reliant on old-fashioned phones you know, to get information. And so when you're using your smartphone, it automatically gives you greater connectivity. Uh, but our colleagues in, in SPAG, have a lot of experience on the ground across Asia because all healthcare is local. No matter how you slice and dice it, in the end, you're going to go to the place that's most convenient for you or get your health delivered in a, in a way that makes it that, that you can take care of yourself in an easy way. That's some of the problems in clinical trials we're seeing is that patients are having to drive two to three hours to get to a clinical trial. And so you have new entrants in clinical trials making it easier. So in Asia, Many similarities to to what we see happening in um, in in Europe and in American decentralized clinical trials, uh, but but our colleagues in SBAG have been active in public health initiatives, and we're able to work with governments and with companies to really drill down to the smallest town in India, for example, where we have a great presence, and to deliver the right information uh, about vaccines, for example, or about infectious diseases. So um, in the end, you're only as good as your local reach. And that's why we at Finn, we realized that having local capabilities in a way uh, that we're, you know, where we had, we could really trust the information. We had people on the ground who understand the, the each individual ecosystem in those 48 countries is paramount to helping our clients. And my, my last question, I think, is um, is more of a sort of internal Finn Partners question, which is that, um, you know, healthcare is, is your biggest practice these days. Um, Asia is very much the last piece of the puzzle because you've got a decent healthcare infrastructure um, in other parts of the world. Um, how do you go about making this a truly global practice? Um, how do you ensure that you know people in various parts of the world can interact with each other and learn from each other and feel part of the the same culture? You've made a lot of acquisitions over the years, and I always marvel at companies that can sort of absorb 
absorb acquired companies and make them part of the culture without disruption. How, how do you do that in, in this case with this practice? Boy, am I so glad you asked me that because that is uh, my principal directive is to make sure that we are collaborating around the world. And so what's great, and, and you know that my, uh, I used to have my own agency and it was acquired and I was um, really amazed at what a great job our company did, Finn did at integrating and helping us make, make us feel welcome right from the start and introducing uh, my team to, to everyone else's. And now I am so proud to lead that charge. Um, just uh, the other day, I think it was uh, last week or the week before, we had a global health summit and that was just our practice. Um, it was two days uh, and we had 150 participants from around the world. We invited other practices to attend. And what th what we do during those summits is uh, we introduce leaders of different practices to our healthcare colleagues. We talk about uh, things we're learning uh, from the media, um, innovations in, in digital and social media. And so we really try to cross-pollinate the best of the best across our practice. And so uh, we, you know, we have a good, uh, we, we also had a leadership summit recently uh, that we have at our wonderful Hunter Mountain retreat. Um, we had 125 leaders from around the world and had an individual health practice meeting where we um, talked about our, our priorities for 2023. And, you know, with SPAG, we're already collaborating on behalf of clients, both on behalf of Western sort of U.S. and, and European clients, as well as clients that are coming from Asia. We have a strong presence now in China as well. And so... Uh, yeah, we we I think we do a great job. We have uh, a very low level of bureaucracy, <laughs> which I'm very thankful for. And so uh, it's it's and we have you know we have all the different systems to support our communications. We use Slack, we use Teams, you name it, we we have it. And and so I think everyone in the practice feels super well connected. Um, this year, we've also launched a couple of specialty groups. We have a scientific strategies group, and again, that's global. That's just not housed in the U.S. We have PhDs, MDs, um, health researchers around the world that help us get the science right. And so and Asia is a big part of that. Uh, same with social and same with digital. That, that I guess, leads me to a what is a, truly a final question, because I, I know we're on a time, time schedule here, uh, which is about the, the level of talent that you've seen so far in the Asia-Pacific market. Um, is is there a good sort of pipeline of smart healthcare communicators, or is that an area where uh, firms like yours that are coming into the market will need to invest in a lot of training and development? I think it's a little of both. And I think uh, any consultancy recognizes that while you can attract good talent, if you're doing amazing things, which we are at Finn, it's imperative that you invest in talent, you invest in the next generation. And we've actually started uh, what we call the accelerator program, where we, we have, it's sort of like what happens at you know, McKinsey and Bain, where we have a training program and that has really helped to fuel our pipeline of, of talent. And I think we're seeing the same in Asia. Uh, we have incredible people in Asia, I think because 
Aman and Shivani and our other leaders in those markets uh, are true leaders in every sense of the world. They uh, they have a purpose to what they do. They try to instill uh, making a difference in the world, uh, a real value as as we do across Finn, and that inspires talent. I think we we drew we draw a lot of talent because we try to make our work meaningful, and so. Yeah, we we are fighting for talent like everyone else, but we're also able to retain talent because we uh, we we do have these values which absolutely permeate um, everything we do. We also do a lot of pro bono work, which I think people like to do. We we in each market we have pro bono opportunities, and that inspires people. And at the end of the day, you know, especially when we're locked in our homes on Zoom, you want to feel like you're doing something good for the world. And so I, I think we have discovered uh, the secret sauce in, in in some ways. Yeah, I have to say, having, having observed, I don't know, hundreds, if not thousands of PR agency acquisitions over the years, um, there are some that make you go, hmm. And then there are <laughs> others that, that just intuitively seem like a good cultural fit. And knowing Finn Partners and SPAG as I do, this one seemed to me to be um seemed to be a, a good fit. Um and there's no doubt that the healthcare market that you're going into both globally and and in Asia in particular um, has a lot of growth opportunity right now. Uh, the issues are only getting more complex. The challenges are only getting more challenging. So it's a, an interesting time uh, to be building a global healthcare business. Best of luck with that. Um, thank you thank very you. much to Fern Lazar from, uh, from, from Finn Partners, where she leads a global healthcare practice. Um, this has been the Provoke Media podcast, and I hope to see you or hear you or join you again soon uh, for another one of these. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Marketeers.